broadly two categories of regulations and more enforcement which has come in on the forced labor or the social due diligence side as well as on the environmental impact side of it. It is not a jab. It is a wellness activity, right? Uh, you have to understand that because fundamentally what has shifted in the fashion industry is when they outsourced to the developing world there, the regulations went off. So they were under no control. No, no country was really bothered whether are you paying fair wages or not or whether you're polluting the water in, in India or Pakistan or Sri Lanka or not. But now they have all seen the full cycle of it. And now they are all saying, no, 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 we should put more regulations on the fashion industry also. What it absolutely needs is focus, mindshare and resource allocation. Welcome to Mindful Businesses presented by Sarani and I'm your host, Vidya Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you businesses that are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. We like to check in with some of our previous guests to see how their businesses have changed, what goals were achieved, the and the ones that were not, how they may have pivoted or continued the path that they had chosen. It is a pleasure today to have with us once again, Shamik Ghosh, CEO of Trust Trace, Tracing for Fashion. He joins us from Stockholm, Sweden. Welcome, Shamik. It's a pleasure to have you on the show again. Hi, Vidya. Pleasure is mine also. When we last spoke, our conversations revolved around how brands wanting to be transparent and provide traceability of their products adopted solutions such as Trust Trace. But in the past year and a half, or so, the regulatory landscape has changed. From a time where it was brands who were self-policing, self-introspecting, these regulations are now requiring them to be certified and to comply. What happened since we last spoke? So I think maybe almost a year back, I think that we spoke with you. So if you look at it, uh, generally the regulations and the enforcement of the regulations has uh, gone up significantly, right? And broadly, these regulations are in two spaces or two categories, I would say. One category is the forced labor kind of uh, regulations where you have got various uh, risk areas in the globally where the regulators are watchful that uh, forced labor is used from these kind of areas and all that kind of thing also apart from that forced labor also means worker conditions proper wages and etc etc right all these regulations and and you now see that many of these regulations were existing across the globe in different countries it is just that more enforcement has now been added to that so like in us you have the uflpa which was already existing for a very long time now cbp has been mandated and now they are putting in more and more officers who are typically looking into the uh, scrutinizing the inbound goods that is entering the U.S. shores there. And same is the case in Germany, same is the case in, in Australia and all that. Could you elaborate what is UFLPA and CPB? UFLPA is Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. So one of the risk zones globally is the Xinjiang province because it is known that they use a lot of Uyghur minority and in a, in a forced labor condition. So there is a, this regulation is targeted towards the prevention of that and it is an indirect 
regulation to or a direct regulation to help uh, people not to source goods from the Xinjiang province broadly. But similarly, forced labor regulations are there in other parts of the world, not necessarily about Uyghur, but generally about that everybody has to do a due diligence on the forced labor exposure in their supply chain. And CBP is the Customs Border Police, so which is the authority which is responsible for enforcing the UFLPA law there. Then you have the other part of the other category is about environmental or the green claims part of it. And this is to do again with the aspects that there's a lot of uh, greenwashing going on to the extent that there has been a lot of crackdowns by the market authorities in different countries because now they want them to provide evidences. Or in certain countries, like in in France, they have introduced a law called AJEC, which is a very French long version of the law. That law makes that at a product level, the brand is supposed to present the complete footprint of the product or the exposure to the various environmental challenges, right? Uh, The environmental footprint has to be presented to the consumer. So would that involve labeling? For instance, you know, About a year ago, there was this expose, I should say, or this revelation that there was more God's cotton in the market than that was even produced in India specifically. So are they talking to start with labeling and then go backwards to the environment impact or how are they doing it? So most of these laws are pushing the brands to become a little bit more science-based. So when they are going ahead, uh, so it is not about only the material part of it. What is the footprint part of it, right? So you may use conventional material also, but then there may be the uh, your footprint is higher. So please be transparent about it. So they are not saying that you can only introduce garments with a low footprint. First, they are saying that first share what is the footprint and then obviously you work towards reducing the footprint. Like you have these uh, energy efficient buildings, right? They have a rating of A to E. I think a similar concept is getting thought for the fashion products, but it makes, it is very complex because energy efficient is only looking at one energy level. But in case of product, you have got biodiversity, water, almost six, seven different parameters, right? So I think that is what the PEF, the product environmental footprint work is also going on in the European Union. Again, going back to what we were answering that broadly two categories of regulations and more enforcement, which has come in on the forced labor or the social due diligence side, as well as on the environmental impact side of it there. And these regulations are coming in different formats in different regions and countries. So broadly what has now happened is essentially the brands now have to know where the product is being produced and how it is being produced. Because earlier they were doing a very point action that, okay, if I just need to comply to a particular regulation, I will just take a very specific approach. But now they have to take a more systemic approach because it is not only one regulation, there are multiple regulations and multiple variations of it. So which means that fundamentally they have to know their supply chains better and the suppliers better. But this requires so much energy, resources on the side of the brands, right? Yes, it needs focus, but whether it needs hundreds of people i don't think so because i think now when we are working with a lot of people i think it needs a mind share from the 
senior execs to put in people, allocate right number of people, right number of budget to it. But it can be done. And we have now seen that tools available in the market through which you can do it in a much more efficient manner. And I'm not just saying that Trustface is the only tool. There are multiple tools. And again, Trustface cannot solve all the needs of this data. Trustface solves a very specific traceability and uh, compliance data collection requirement. Then you have got different environmental footprint calculators. You have got different compliance as a service uh, platforms available where this core data goes in and then you can do this. So there's many efficient ways of doing it. What it absolutely needs is focus, mindshare, and resource allocation. And this is not a game that you will deploy capital today or resources today, and you will get the return in three months' time. For you to get to that particular stage, it will take at least two to three years' time. So you have to look at it in the long haul, not like what Wall Street wants you to do and you know get returns and it show up on your stock values. It is not a jab. It is a wellness activity, right? Uh, you have to understand that. Because fundamentally what has shifted in the fashion industry is if you compare it with other industries like electronics or automotive, they got regulated in 90s or kind of a thing. Now, fashion industry, what happened is that when they outsourced to the developing world there, the regulations went off. So they were under no control. No, no country was really bothered whether are you paying fair wages or not or whether you're polluting the water in, in India or Pakistan or Sri Lanka or not. But now they have all seen the full cycle of it. And now they are all saying, no, 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 we should put more regulations on the fashion industry also. So fundamentally, it has completely shifted from being an unregulated industry, less scrutiny was done, to more regulations have come in now. So if I take the lens of a business person in the American setup, which is slightly different than most European businesses, right? They believe that we know what is best for the customer. We know what is best for our surroundings, our environs, and we don't want any regulation. Let's look, put it from this perspective. We all have accepted the, or we are seeing the effects of it. If a policy which causes water pollution or causes a climate change in India or in Southern America has an impact on you, right? This, I think the new generation and most of the people, we accept that there is an implication, there is a connection. Some of them say that there's a strong connection. Some of them will say that, no, it's not, not so strong or a weak connection, right? There is an impact from that. And also, if you look at it, coming back to your concept of free markets, right? Now, if you are allowing a company to have cut corners on worker conditions in other part of the world, in an indirect or a direct way, you are actually take snatching away job from your own people in the U.S. This is what is driving many of this social due diligence regulations, right? Give them a level playing field. You cannot have somebody who is cheating the system being rewarded, though the person can be sitting in any other part of the world, whereas you are harming the person who is following the good processes or good methods in your local setup. All of this awareness is fundamentally getting converted into regulation. So we should not see regulation as something that it has been imposed on us. I think regulation is a result of inaction by the brands when they were allowed to do self-policing. It could make them less competitive, right? If you take that, the reason they moved overseas is because of that. But once they have the same regulations overseas, their costs will rise. That doesn't mean that they will be able to onshore because they may, they may have lost the skill level. For instance, 
the footwear industry in the US or the textile and fashion industry. US used to make, like I have clothes from the 80s and 90s. They were all made in South Carolina. Even if it comes back, the skill is not there. So I think it is a big shift with which is happening. It is not only to do with, uh, because our, still we are thinking in a very linear business model that we have to sell more, we have to purchase more, right? So one is the regulation part of it, because I think they are just trying to create a level playing field. On top of it, your models have to, because you're talking about 80s and 90s. I don't think we used to buy so many garments at those times. We, our usage was much lower or effectively we were using the same garment more times. Now I think our number of times we wear the same garment is gone up 10x down. And we are always believing that we have to buy new garments. Uh, rather than checking your wardrobe, we go into a store and buy garments. So all these behaviors have to also go undergo a change there for the better. So I think all of this has to be taken holistically. That the business models are shifting from linear to circular. Your regulations are providing you a level playing field across the globe so that if you follow good practices, you will be rewarded anywhere in the world. So I think all this is coming together. And I think also we're talking about living wages, right? So the standard and cost of living in, in other countries will be different than the United States. So the businesses still can be competitive and continue to offer quality goods at an affordable price. Exactly. I think there's enough amount of research which has been done also. Moving to responsible and sustainable business practices is not making your business uncooperative because the cost of compliance on that part is very, very small. If you look at a margin of a retailer, it's just that amount of mind the amount of focus you have to bring into it is just completely new practice new way of looking at supply chain for you and we have also seen companies who have taken control of the supply chain using the data they get much more agile the other efficiency benefits are much higher also for example resilience right now biggest challenge that you typically see may not be for a very small actually in, in a case of small brands it may be it not only resilience it is about existence also because if a specific supply chain gets disrupted you do not have any products to sell so awareness of such risks and all that means that you should know your suppliers and you should collaborate with your suppliers there gone are the days when you will say that okay this is the my terms and conditions and suppliers you have to produce it i think the suppliers also are having a choice now to also work with the much more responsible and sustainable businesses because they have been pushed to such an extreme pace that they don't want to be further cornered now. They only want to do good business and not good business, at least a business with better terms so that they can also have a, a better business and better working conditions to offer to their employees there. Yeah, and I think from a supplies perspective, if they are able to comply with these things with minimal escalation in their everyday costs or their capital costs, nobody wants their laborers to be in really unsafe conditions. They may do it to cut corners, but if they are given a little bit more price margin from the brands, they probably would be happier to comply and offer these to their labor, their, the water supply, the way they tan their leather or way they procure their dyes or what dyes they use. And I think we have to also see it from this perspective that many of these, uh, I think it used to earlier that if you're a brand, you have a choice that either I use this supplier, if I don't like the supplier, I'll just move to other suppliers. But nowadays, I think we are seeing also the suppliers are also understand that, hey, 
it is not only the buyers market it is also the suppliers market so i think we we need to take care of our employees so that we are all able to offer the right product to the right people also so i think with the emergence of various sourcing and procurement uh, marketplaces i think their access to the brands and retailers who are giving them the right price right conditions has also gone up so how does a brand just begin i'm a very conscious brand i was sourcing and my practices violated all the regulations that you just um, mentioned how do i start yeah so i think we have a four step process which we typically that's why we we authored a playbook last year then we created a new edition of that which is more to do with the first playbook first focusing upon the what part of it and the why part of it and now we are focusing on the how part of it how do you get your uh, traceability journey started there i'd like to mention that i did go and download this playbook uh, most businesses are able to do that it's a fascinating book with the step to step instructions directions how to go about it and very well written i would recommend any business owner or non business owner who wants to see how they could possibly make their business comply go and download the playbook from trusttrace.com the four step process that we suggest is so you start by first getting all your tier 1 suppliers or the key tier 1 suppliers and you can do a ratio like you can go by the pareto principle which are the 20% of your strategic suppliers get their complete profile when i say complete profile you typically start with uh, uh, what are the value processes they follow what kind of broad certificates they have like an iso certificate or a got certificate whatever different certificates they have ask them for more audits if they have done if they have not done it, maybe encourage them to go through different social audits and all that and upload all of the system the data in one place how do you define tier 1 suppliers tier 1 suppliers are the suppliers who are directly supplying to the brand it is not the agents it is the facilities under which you produce it a common term used in the garment industry at least is the cmt suppliers which is the cut make and trim but maybe in the footwear industry it is a the final factory which is assembling all of the bill of material items into the final shoe and the tier 2 is a component supplier for example it can be a fabric it can be a leather it can be a material and then if it is coming from the tier 3 tier 4 tier 4 so finally by tier 5 tier 6 you are almost talking to the farm or the source from which the unit raw material is coming there so start with the tier 1 get most of the supplier profiles so at least you know you are in well control of the tier 1 your immediate sphere of influence use the tier 1 then to also suggest that who is the probable tier 2 tier 3 suppliers that you are using this may take time so you have to give them a, a little bit long rope of at least 3 to 6 months for them to collect this information there but be on it say that hey hope you are taking it seriously and you are getting this data on and once they have that data then ask them that can you start collecting evidences that the tier 3 supplier has used suppose responsible leather or a responsible wool or organic cotton kind of certificates because most of the transaction certificates are sitting at the tier 2 tier 3 level right and this is what i call still a shallow data collection here you are just saying that hey you are claiming this just provide me this data at a purchase order level can you please tag all of these certificates while it is a shallow data collection because you are introducing a change into the ways ways of working be patient it will take you at least a year for you to for your suppliers and you guys to all get this step completed 
once you have this step i think it's a very very big step because you have introduced a change you have communicated to your suppliers that you mean sustainable business and responsible production methods i think that understanding once it starts coming in people will start collecting the data most of these regulations where the direction of travel for most of these regulation is that they would want you to have a complete chain of custody which would mean that from tier 2 or tier 3 onwards you have the complete material movement and with the material movement you also have the complete impact analysis done that is the next level of maturity you need to achieve that level of maturity you will take another 1 to 2 years even after the first step one so it's a 2 to 3 year process that you have to do and you have to be patient to drive it there and i think what you are primarily communicating to the suppliers is that we are almost like partnering with you right it's not that hey you give it to me at x dollars if you don't give it to me at x i will go to the person who gives me at 3% less or 2% less so you're saying we're working with you let us know how you are complying and the regulations do help they do help because it gives you a little bit more clout in saying this is what is required not by me but my policy makers who require that i only source from such yeah, because otherwise the goods that many of the you will have a terms that they will only get paid when the goods pass through the customs authority right if they don't comply to that the goods will not pass through the customs authorities in us or whichever other country you are talking about they are also stuck with the goods stuck in the border and you are also stuck with that thing right but with that i will also say that while you want to partner with the suppliers this is also a good time for you to assess your suppliers and say that hey this supplier is not playing tango with me maybe i should not change my supplier there because you would have built all the supply chain in the past on predominantly your top line and bottom line case now is the case where you have to also look at measure them on green line so earlier people used to only focus on certain quality at a certain cost and that's okay right now you have to look at certain quality certain price with the certain sustainability attributes and that is why we are seeing many of our customers running a strategic sourcing program saying that i had this 20 suppliers are these 20 suppliers my right suppliers for my future maybe i should start evaluating them on the sustainability aspects of it and then replace or ask them to really invest into the sustainability angle because if they don't invest in the sustainable methods you will never achieve your sustainability goals coming back to the categories there were broadly two right the one with the labor practices and the other sustainability which is a very very broad spectrum each category is so specialized right like if you think about sustainability i've been broadcasting or i've been producing for 4 years and every week i learn at least two different things so would the brands need a specialist in each of these category because it's almost like having a whole new department to take care of this yeah other thing that we have also done is now we have formed customer cohorts in clusters so there are very limited number of people who know about sustainability and traceability i mean sustainable still people know and traceability very few people know so we bring in all these practitioners so that they can collaborate share because the, you are not competing on this parameter because this is a regulation 
it is everybody has to comply to it it is best that you collaborate on this aspect so we bring such group of people to work together but in sustainability i think we have to understand there are certain fundamental principles that have to be adopted you don't need to be specialist you can be a fast follower or you can follow certain policy networks that are available in europe also in the us and other parts of the world you can just join that group and know what are the five or ten things that you typically need to monitor that you have to understand that this activity is not only one person's role yes one person can act like a anchor to all of this discussion which is typically the chief sustainability officer or somebody like a chief quality officer who is also doubling up as a sustainability in a small brand there but they will need active participation from sourcing team the production team in this so it is team effort which will finally help you to achieve the compliance and the sustainability there it cannot be done just by one person the one person is typically the anchor of this whole discussion okay so now i'm a brand i know based on what you said how to start i have my mindset of hey this is going to take me 2 3 years and i know what policies apply to me because of the categories that i work in how does trust trace help me we have got customers who fall in different clusters so there is a footwear cluster then there is a fast fashion or a high street fashion kind of a customer then you have got luxury because each one of use different commodities different artisans or different kind of uh, manufacturers for their production so we have formed clusters who are also coming with that kind of an understanding there but broadly the way we work is when we start a program we will typically provide you with some amount of hand holding support about how to go about achieving traceability traceability per se is you just want to know at a product level what does my supply chain look like and you are collecting various data about various sustainability parameters using the platform that is what we do we do not in case you now want to do a footprint calculation we don't do it but we will connect you to my partner like pef trust who does footprint calculation and then then that discussion we will enable but we will not directly be a part of that program so we typically have got apart from the software that we sell we also have got an a consulting team which helps our fashion brands to set the complete program for the traceability part of it and then we also bring in an implementation team which will work with you to train the suppliers if they have got any issues with the way the system is working how to tweak it how to configure it that is the role of the implementation team and even after that if you are a small brand and you say hey you know what i don't have 20 people to follow up with suppliers we also offer a service called traceability as a service which is setting as a on need basis that okay hey you know what i am launching this so many purchase orders i want you to go and follow up with the suppliers and in case they are getting stuck somewhere to help them so that is addition add on component so when you say follow up you follow up electronically digitally not physically we can do it physically but there are certain conditions in which we'd go and do physically we do not go and visit all factories but the way we say that brand let's work together can you set up a workshop in a particular location suppose in india suppose you set up a workshop in kanpur in kanpur then my team will go they will run a workshop and sit with the suppliers for a day they will then say that okay this is how you will have to input the data and in case they have got questions of how we should do the why we should do is not answered by us we want the brand to answer why it should be done how it has to be done will be answered by the team so we do workshops like that again back to the question of cost 
how much does your solution cost it depends upon the size of the brand and all typically for a smaller brand it can vary anywhere from between $60000 a year to almost a million and a half for a very large brand per piece it would increase my cost by say 1% per unit that depends upon what cluster because if you are a fast fashion company or whether you are a luxury or a premium kind of a thing it varies there but broadly we have seen with these kind of costs that i am talking about and typically we encourage the strategy we adopted is that in 2018 19 we started working with the very large brands what happened with that is that at bulk we got a lot of suppliers on the platform because they had the bargaining power to bring in all the suppliers now we have started working with the mid size and the smaller brands more mid size than the smaller brands because now we are able to see a network effect coming from the larger brands that many of these suppliers are already supplying to the mid size brands so that the supplier knows trustees and then they do that and hopefully this network effect will now start spilling over to the smaller brands and the smaller suppliers also previously spoke you said you had on your website a list of suppliers who had already implemented trust trace do you still have that no we don't have that because i think there has been much more stronger regulations on confidentiality and privacy which has come up and the suppliers they don't want to just share that information and many times a brand also don't because many of the suppliers are linked to that particular brands that we don't do but if brand comes and says that hey i have got this is my list of suppliers we sign an nda and then we have the list of suppliers and then we say hey out of list of suppliers maybe 20% 30% or 50% 60% of the suppliers are on the platform and then we can help them to assess that in a very early stage when we talk about traceability about a year two years ago the buzzword was blockchain now i don't hear it as much what's going on so blockchain as a technology is relevant and we have it deployed the challenge with the blockchain is the governance because it means that you as a brand are open to share may not be all information but at least your supplier list how many times you have audited them how many times you have been to their facility kind of information with other brands also i don't think there is a loss of competitiveness from this but it is just that brands are not used to collaborating that way so then there is no intent to collaborate that way then there is no use of a blockchain platform i think much more we are seeing much more promise coming from the advances made in ai and uh, ocr technologies in as of now given the industry's maturity as of now what are the penalties if we don't comply if as a brand they don't comply to the applicable rules and laws and regulations are there financial penalties or is it just perception no there is a financial penalties which are coming up i think it is like this again going back to the question of wellness and jab if you want to be have a good health you always prepare for it because then you are hale and hearty otherwise you can always get the jab and then say that tomorrow oh i am exposed to this and this happened i will get an insurance coverage but that is still a very big hassle and you are running a very risky business then and that is what is happening because cbp may not catch all the inbound goods but if your good gets stuck in that it is almost one season worth of your inventory sitting with cbp your business will face a lot of difficulties so it that kind of a uh, risk is what you are bringing to your business if you do not comply to these regulations what is the digital passport 
under the various laws and specific to digital product passport at a product level the consumer should be able to find out how does the supply chain look like where is the finally assembled where is the maybe the specific big constitution of the materials coming from for example if cotton is 50% of the weight of the product where is that coming from such kind of information should be available and shared with the consumer and each product should have a unique id which would mean that now using that unique id tomorrow that same product if changes ownership through whatever second hand or rental or anything kind of a models then you know that what is the life of this product maybe it has been in circulation for 5 years 7 years 10 years and which means that it has served the purpose of it and now it can be recycled so when it goes for recycling again you know what the bill of material looks like so that you can recycle it in a much more efficient manner so in effect you are giving a a unique id which shares a lot more information about how the product is made and how it has been used or being used at particular time could it be in a form of a qr code because i've seen in mostly food products i bought some sugar and it had a qr code i could scan the qr code and it told me exactly what kind of sugar and what were made to make the sugar so it can be qr code nfc i don't think they are prescriptive about what more to follow but you have this information to be shared and again dpp goes will be enforced by 2026 or 2027 as per the european union but generally there is a lot of interest on that because it supports the circular business models significantly there but you can use any technology for it only thing the whatever you use should at least last 10 years to 15 years of the life of the product Uh, do you offer a digital passport we don't do in at a production level but we are currently are running two pilots uh, significantly large pilots with five odd brands in europe by next year we will be ready with the dpp solution there you worked with larger brands what are the some of the larger brands that you worked with so we have worked with companies such as adidas fast retailing Are we still working with them? Uh, Adidas, uh, fast retailing, Brooks, running, Renfro, these kind of brands. We have approximately around thirty odd uh, contracts. Some of the contracts are with the holding companies, so that would mean more brands. So overall, we have got around fifty-five odd brands with whom we are working globally, right from Europe, US, Canada, Australia, and Japan also now. So if you were supposed to like categorize. the total goods and volume that comes from these top 20 brands right and or brand houses like louis vuitton that comes from lvmh your product is still a little bit inaccessible to the middle and bottom tier it is and we are aware of that the vision with which we started trust trace with their is to fundamentally go and bring a change to the industry right we started actually working with a quite a few very very sustainable smaller brands and we still work with them but we also understood that scale is very important you cannot work with the smaller sustainable because many of those guys do not have the bargaining power to make a change in the industry and now with the we obviously were held by the strong tailwinds coming in from the these regulations so which meant the enterprise suddenly said that hey this is a big downside risk for us can you come and help us so we then caught that bus and started working also with the large enterprise so if you see in our customer list you will have these super sustainable mission driven businesses and then you have got a, a cohort of enterprise customers who want to make the change 
Now, we see that these two are joining, coming together because when we work with the sustainable-minded business, the policies, the principles that they have adopted are of great interest to the enterprise companies because that is setting the bar very high for them. At the same time, the enterprise customers, by the way they are able to push the supply chain to share data, that adds a significant amount of benefit to the smaller brands. Do we have a perfect, have we, are we able to service everybody in the industry? May not be. And that is, I think, the scale at which we are working. So in the last, what, 12 to 18 months, we have signed almost a bulk of the contracts that we have signed. And it just shows that once you have fixed, like if you pick up sports and footwear, we have Adidas and a couple of very, very big names in that, like top five brands are working with us. I cannot share the name, but you can guess it now. Because of that, now smaller fashion brands or smaller footwear brands are gaining also in the platform there, which is happening for us. And this, we believe, is a, the way Trusted's journey will work out for the next three to four years. There, We will then say that, hey, we truly can service an enterprise, a mid-tier, a smaller customer there. Because again, we are also 100 odd people, right? We cannot put our focus on every segment in the market. So Shamik, thank you so much for coming on the show. Wishing you all the best and trust Trace with their vision to service and bring about change in the industry. Thank you, Vidya. Thanks. A pleasure to be here. You're listening to Mindful Businesses produced and hosted by Vidya Ayer. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. Click on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Learn more about our latest episodes. We recorded this podcast in Buffalo, New York. Theme music was composed by Tatum Gale. Barbara Shafiki B is our marketing assistant. Ketan Karat is our podcast editor. Our advisors are Jim Stone and Anupama Pashreja. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.